Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Some thanks, Timmy. Doing a great job. How's everyone doing? First Sunday of 2019. Feeling excited? Feeling like, oh man, the kids are going back to school soon. That's no good. It's all good. Great to have you at church today. Why don't you take your seat? And uh, who's, ever, who's ever planned anything? A trip? A camping trip? Hands up if you planned a camping trip, holiday trip that's gone sometimes not how you planned. Yep, lots of hands. Excellent. You know, if you're on Facebook, it reminds you of, uh, of your memories. It comes up and reminds you of certain things. And yesterday, a memory popped up on Facebook of five years ago, and the memory was a photo of, um, of the, our boat, and, we were, and I'd put a heading under it, which I'd totally forgotten. It said, this is not a boat. This is a, um, what did I say it was? It was like a, this is a storm shelter. And uh, so five years ago, we planned our first camping trip. I'd done a few before, but first camping trip for our kids, and we went over to Fraser Islands with the boat, and there was a bit of wind, and where we were going was sheltered, and um, <laughs> it was a bit of wind, and it was, I said, it's going to be rough, but we made it there, and it was nearly two meter seas or whatever, but it was all good, and um, boat made it through, got there, and it was pretty windy, and we're, and we're trying to set up camp, and, and, uh, and this strong northerly wind's blowing at at least 30 knots, and uh, which is about... Uh, about yeah, nearly 60 kilometers an hour, and um, blowing off this off the sand. It was rough out front, but we're trying to set up this tent. We would have had a brand new 12-man tent. That if you ever tried to set up a, the bigger the tents get, the harder they're to put up because if there's windy, it's just like a parachute. And so the kids nearly getting lifted off the ground trying to put the tent up. And so we put a marquee tent up or whatever, and it's getting late, it's getting dark, and and we had very low internet coverage, so I couldn't check the radar. There's a few storms around, and uh, and I could see in the distance some lightning, and I saw one that one was missing us or whatever. And uh, what we didn't know, Tim did, because he was watching and think, praying for us while we were over there, that this storm we thought had missed us swung back around and came from the south over Fraser Island. And at about midnight, uh, we got out, finally had dinner at about 11 p.m. and got our tent up and the kids had gone into the tent or whatever. And I thought, oh, this storm looks like it's getting under lightning and it sounded pretty bad. And the wind's blowing from the north, but then suddenly the wind just dropped and I see this cloud in between lightning flashes uh, is rolling towards us and I thought this looks pretty full on and uh, so they'd gone to the tent Emma and the kids had gone to uh, bed in the tent and I'm, I thought I'll stay up just to make sure everything's down and I had, I had nine kilo gas bottles tied to the uh, to the marquee and all that kind of stuff sudden this wind hit from the south that was at least 120 kilometer an hour gust and uh, and I was holding onto the marquee and I was lifted off the ground and uh, with the gas bottles so that's how strong it was um, and tied off the it was strong anyway and so I'm hanging on I thought if I let go of this marquee it's gone we've got no more marquee and uh, and so I'm hanging on to this and then this and then I'm watching as a lightning strike hits about 50 meters in front of me on the other side of the creek a tree then another one then I hit th- three of them and uh, and these cracks of thunder that were so loud it was deafening and then this with this same first gust of wind six poles simultaneously snapped on the tent and uh, with 
with the, those three in it. And then the whole tent just collapses and all I hear is screaming in the background and crying. And I'm hanging on, I can't come, I'm hanging on to a marquee. They can't hear me anyway. And so I'm getting, and then so they're screaming and so then I'm just hanging on and thinking, what do I do? And next minute, um, hail starts. Um, and so... So, yeah, it's a great camping trip, first one. And so hail starts, and it's horizontal hail. So it wasn't, it was blowing that hard that I'm, he- I'm like this, and the hail's hitting me in the chest like bullets. And I'm getting hit in the face with hail and dodging. Lucky they weren't too big, but they were, they hurt. And, um, and so finally there's gusts, a few more gusts of wind, and uh, there was a bit of a lull for a second. So I run back, and I'm trying to find them in the tent because they're just buried and, and whatever. And find they get out, and they take off to the boat. We had a boat, which was good, which was sheltered. And then I went back to secure the camp. Anyway, that lasted for two hours. And uh, so it was a fairly significant storm. And uh, there was something, and they said there was something like 85,000 lightning strikes in those storms that came through uh, that night through our area. And so have you ever planned a camping trip? So uh, we did. And uh, we have been back. The kids were kind of traumatized from that um, event. Uh, and when we go out in the boat, Riley is pretty particular about what, how big are the waves going to be, Dad? Um, what's the wind strength? Because he knows what 30 knots is like. And uh, so if I say 10 knots, he's like, oh, that'll be okay. Then he said, that's going to be a bit rough. So he's kind of learnt real quick. And, uh, but we have been camping again. Um, but it's, yeah, there's a few scars there, I think, in the back of their mind. But, um, you know, what I want to talk about this morning is that God always has a plan. Uh, and as we walk into 2019, We just want to remind you that God always has a plan. He has things planned already for this year that are going to happen in your life and my life and this church that we know nothing about, but He knows what's going to happen. Uh, There's going to be things happen in this place. There's going to be people walk into this building and they're going to be healed, miraculously healed. They're going to be saved. They're going to be set free. It's going to happen in 2019. We don't know the day, but God does. We don't know the moment, but He's got the exact moment planned. There's people walking in our city at the moment on today that uh, in 2019, they're going to walk through these doors and they're going to encounter God and they're going to be transformed and changed in this place. God has a plan. God has a plan. There's going to be moments where people are going to encounter God. We're going to be praying and believing for God to do mighty things, and suddenly they're going to happen. In a moment, God's going to answer your prayer. In a moment, He's going to answer the cry of your heart. Things you've been praying for for years or months or days, whatever it may be, in a moment, He's going to, there's going to be a moment of encounter where God's going to answer those prayers because God always has a plan. I'll remind you today, He has a plan for your life. We don't always know every detail. Probably a good thing we don't. But as we follow him and walk after him, he reveals the details as we go and reveals the plan as we need to know it. He doesn't show us the big picture because we might get a little bit scared. When we went camping, God didn't say, you're going to go camping, you're going to have a great big storm, you're going to get hailed on, your tent's going to get destroyed. But he said, it's going to be the best camping trip you've ever had. You know, he didn't give me any details like that. We planned a trip, but we got through it. We learned a few things on that camping trip. And when God, when we follow him, he will reveal things as we need to do it. Life's an adventure. 
Life has challenges. Life has all sorts of things going on, but God, through it all, has a plan for you. In Jeremiah 11 to 13, a well-known scripture says, Plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. He says, when you pray, I'll listen. And when you look for me wholeheartedly, you shall find me. Finding God can be like an encounter with Him. Finding God can be a revelation of who He is. Finding God can be a moment in your life that transforms your life. And He says, if you will look for me, if you'll cry out for me, if you'll pray, I'll listen, I'll hear you. So God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. You know, when on, on New Year's Eve, we were down visiting family in Victoria and about 11 o'clock at night... Uh, we're sitting around a table, and someone has the bright idea of saying, well, someone I didn't know very well, they said, oh, let's, let's all go around the table and let's say our highlights and lowlights for 2018. And it's 11 o'clock at night, everyone's half asleep, and they're like, really? That involves thinking. So I, I'm like thinking, that's like, that's hard work right there. Olivia was onto it. She like did the best. She listened about, she was like, I think she had too many, too many lollies or something. And uh, she was like, like six different things. And everyone's like, wow, that was good. And like, and I'm thinking, and so the funny thing was someone has an idea about a, an event that happened with family. Then all the ones after that were like, oh, that's a good idea. They just thought of family events. And every highlight was a family event after that. And because everyone was tired, but you know, they went around the table and said lowlights and highlights. And, um, you know, it's not 11 o'clock at night. It's only, what time is it? 10.30 in the morning. So you guys are fully awake. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. Oh. And I want you to share, if you can think of one. It doesn't have to be your, you know, your worst day or anything like that. But a highlight and a low light for 2018. Think of something that comes to your mind real quick. Turn to someone you might to share both of them with one person. A highlight and a low light. Who just got told a whole long life story? You guys are into that. You guys are like ready to go. Now, if you missed out on hearing someone's highlight or low light, don't worry about it. It's okay. Or if you didn't get to tell someone, that's okay. But, uh, you know, maybe we, we like to always talk about our highlights a lot and the good things, and we don't always like to share about our lowlights, meaning maybe times that were tough, or maybe you're sitting here today and your lowlight is still happening. Maybe your it still hasn't changed. Maybe your highlight, maybe you're on a real high, and there's a whole lot of great things that have just happened the last few weeks. I don't know, but... You know, it's important that to understand that life's going to be ups and downs, that we'll have some highlights and lowlights, and that can be very normal. What I do know about God is this, that He can take our lowlights, our things that are maybe difficult or hard or something like that, something we're going through, and He can change a lowlight into a highlight. That He can make something that was looking pretty bad into something pretty good. He has a way of changing that because... God isn't just a God who works in the natural. He's a supernatural God. And uh, He doesn't work. We sort of try and work things out in the natural. But His supernatural ability that can actually flow through us can actually transform and change the situation. Something that was impossible can now be possible. Something that thought there's no way that could change can suddenly change because God can 
can, has a way of, of going, bypassing certain natural things into supernatural ways that change situations. So God is able to turn your lowlights, our lowlights into highlights. He can turn a hostile situation into a peaceful situation. The Bible says sorrow into joy. He can take someone that is broken and make them brand new. And some of you in 2018 experienced that where he is... You've come to God with brokenness and, and formed your life last year and made you a brand new person. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. It says God causes everything to work together. The good, the bad, the ugly, the disappointments, the triumphs, the losses, the lowlights and the highlights, he's able to take everything, everything, the whole mishmash of our life, all the stuff we're going through, and he can actually take it and work it all for good, which is amazing because we can't. We try and people try and do that without God and they mess their life up and they get down certain tracks and paths and think, I can handle this, I can do that. They ended up just falling apart and think, I could do this on my own, but they find they can't. That life has a, you know, sin and brokenness has a way of just holding you back and can destroy someone's life. And so we need God to help us and He works all things for good. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you. Just like we might make plans, God has plans and He has a plan for you. God always has uh, plans for people and situations. No matter what situation you find yourself in, God has a plan. No matter if that situation is good or a bad situation, God has a plan to either get you out of it or get you through it or to, or to increase it or enlarge it, whatever it may be. God has a plan in the midst of any situation you find yourself in. He has a plan for people around you, your friends around you that may not even know Him, that are broken, that are hurting, that family members that don't know Him at all. God has a plan in that situation and can intervene and wants to intervene in their situation. And as you pray and as you seek God and ask Him, He hears your prayer. That's what we just read before. And He answers your prayer and He'll move in that situation. There's some people in the Bible that we, all through the Bible we see uh, people that God had plans for, that worked with people, that people sometimes made their own plans and went off track. And, and other times they listen to God and follow God's plan. And, and we see that in many lives. And one of those lives, which I want to talk about this morning, is David. And David in the Old Testament was one of these people that, you know, God had a plan. He was anointed as king from a young age. You are going to be the king of Israel. He was only like a teenager, only like a young, young guy when that happened. But it didn't happen for a long time. But God had said, this is going to happen. Didn't give him all the steps. If he'd have told him what he had to go through, David sort of went, forget it. Like when you see what he had to go through before he became king, he went through a whole lot of stuff. And so, but David was one of these people that God had a plan for. David had many highlights, but he also had many lowlights. David, when he was a teenager, was the one that fought Goliath, turned up at a battlefield and the Israelites and the Philistines are facing it off and there's this giant and no one, everyone was too scared to go fight this giant. And David said, he's only a teenager, he said, I'll do it. How dare he? Go and say what he's saying about my God. And so he went out, as we read, heard the story probably many times, or if you don't know the story, he went out with just a slingshot, which is not your average little pullback slingshot. It was a 
fairly weaponized slingshot with with rocks this big they weren't little pebbles and uh and so he fired these rocks and killed Goliath and and the and the king of Israel saw that time praised him and wanted and gave him a whole lot of stuff and said you're awesome and all this kind of stuff and that was one thing and he went into the king's service and for a minute of time but then down the track as he became a soldier and learned to fight a warrior and lead people in a battle, because a lot of battles going on at that time, that's just how it was, and a lot of fighting, a lot of people wanting to take over. Either you chose to fight or defend your city, or someone would raid it and take it over, and all this kind of stuff. So people are attacking Israel all the time. And he was out, and then and Saul hears one day that you know that day Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his tens of thousands as they celebrate the victory and march through the streets, and Saul becomes jealous. And so David's on a highlight for his life, and all these great things have happened. Then suddenly, suddenly the king gets jealous of David, and he says he wants to kill him. He wants to remove David. And so without going through the whole story, David has to flee. And so he needs to take off. And so the Bible says that David takes off to a place called Gath, which is where, which was Philistine country to live with the Philistines. Now, and he didn't do that for very long for obvious reasons, because when he was a teenager, he fought against them and, and took out Goliath. So they weren't kind of his best friends or anything like that. But he goes to get away from Saul and the, and the armies that Saul had that wanted to kill him. He went and hid kind of with the enemy for a period of time. And, and the Bible says he soon got out of there because they probably, if he stayed there too long, they would have probably tried to kill him as well and it says the bible says he goes into a place into the caves of Adullam. it's a national park you can go to the cave where david was today and uh, you can walk into that place and and see uh, where he lived for a period of time there's all kinds of stuff on the walls and different things that it's a whole national park and so he flow went to this area and these caves weren't little caves. They were caves big enough to hold hundreds of people in one cave. And he's hiding out in this cave. And so you would think that, you know, if you talk to David and say, David, how's life going? He would say, well, it's a bit of a low light at the moment. I'm being pursued by the king who thought I was, who once thought I was great and helped me and now he wants to kill me. I've had to run away and from my family. He's, run, he's fled from, he's left his family, left his country, left his friends, left all this kind of stuff. And he's, got, he's living in enemy territory up in these mountainous caves and he doesn't know how long he's going to be there. And so he finds himself in this situation and he would say, this is a bit of a low light. And if he thought that, you know, that was bad enough, then you read what happens next. This is what I want to talk about today before we finish. In 1 Samuel 12, 22:1-2, it says, David left Gath, that's the place in Phila, in, with the Philistines, escaped the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down there to be with him. So some of his family heard about it, they joined him. They thought, we're not staying with Saul, we could be in danger as well. They come there, but then obviously others heard about it. And it says this, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, gathered around him. And he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. So everyone who's in distress, in debt, or discontented. David's already having a low light. He's, he's already at, like going, this is not going how I planned. I'm, I'm going to be the king. God said, you're going to be a king. Well, now I'm living in a cave. And then God brings all these people, these great men, who were in distress, who were in debt, 
and discontented, not just a couple, the couple's enough, but 400 of them. And said, here you go, David, here's a few friends for you. And so all these men come around him, and you know, and I don't know, and another version says that everyone who was suffering hardship was another word they used, suffering, everyone who has in debt, everyone who is discontented. And then if you read uh, about what that means, distress means this, extreme anxiety, sorrow, or pain. So people who are in extreme anxiety, sorrow, and pain, those who are in debt, now they, just, they weren't just broke, they didn't have any money, but they actually owed people money. So it's one thing to have a bunch of people around you that just have nothing and are broke, but these guys were beyond that. They like they were in debt. And in those days, if you couldn't pay a debt, things got a bit more serious. It didn't go to spur. <laughs> I would just add it on to my government tab or whatever, um, or whatever way because I can't afford to pay it. No, they got a little bit more serious and said, if you don't pay us back, we're going to take all your possessions. And if you've got no possessions, we'll come and t- start taking your family members as slaves. And then if that's not enough, well, we'll just kill you. And so that's basically the pattern how it went. And so these guys are like, here I am, David. I'm in total debt. I owe all these guys money. Where they're probably going to come and kill me, all this kind of stuff or whatever. And they're like, and that's probably one of them. And there was just, there was quite a few of them. And they were discontented. And discontentment is like they're dissatisfied with their circumstances. And you sort of think, why did all these people come and join David? Why did they end up with him? And why would they be in that situation? Well, thinking about that is that they, were, they would have come from Israel, who Saul was the king. But Saul, as king at that time, was not doing the job he should have been doing. He had turned, he stopped listening to God. He had turned away from God. And when leadership of a nation turns away from the path they were meant to go or turn away from God and stop listening to God, then their whole nation suffers. So there was 400 men that came and joined David. There would have been probably many more that were feeling like that living back in Israel because their leadership has fallen apart. Saul was so focused on himself and so focused on pursuing David and doing this, he wasn't listening to God anymore. He was off listening to other advice from other spiritualists and all this kind of stuff was going on and and wasn't listening to God and he he just turned his back on God and the nation was suffering for it. So no wonder there's people that show up and they thought, well, they thought, well, David's they knew David was a good man. And so we're we're gonna go and find David. We'll go find him. I'm distressed. I'm in debt, I'm discontented, but it's better than being with under Saul. Let's go find David. And so these people rock up. It doesn't say they came with their families. They probably did. There could have been their whole wives and families and all that. It just says 400 men, and they turned up with David. The thing you've got to love about David is that, you know, David didn't just kind of write them off. You don't, when you read that, it doesn't go, oh, David looked at these people and thought, yep, they are just a bunch of... They're just hopeless. They're no good. It's like God. He didn't. Do you hear David wasn't complaining to God? You don't hear David complaining at all about his situation, his circumstance. Like Tim was talking about worry this morning and all that kind of stuff. He didn't. He recorded. He didn't complain to God or whinge to God about being in the cave, being in the circumstances. It just talks about that David trusted God. That David. And that takes a that takes a lot to live that way. And so these men just show up. You know, have you ever have you ever been in distress? Have you ever been in debt? Ever been discontent? 
ever felt what that's like. Maybe you're in this place this morning and maybe you feel like that one of those things maybe is you this morning. Maybe you're struggling and you are in debt and you don't know how to get out of it. Maybe, maybe you feel like you're in distress, there's, you're anxious and there's stuff just happened. Maybe it's totally out of your control. All these things doesn't mean that's their fault, but it was out of their control. But that's what the place they were in at that point in time. Maybe you're discontented, you're dissatisfied with the circumstances around you. I want to tell you today that God wants to help you. That God sees your need. That God doesn't just look past you and ignore you. He sees exactly where you're at and He's able to help you because He was able to help these men and that's what we're going to find out what happened in a moment. So God saw the need in these 400 men and He basically put in their mind or whatever it may be to head off to David and they all went to David and David looks at these men, doesn't complain about them, but he begins to look at the potential that was in their life. He didn't look at their weaknesses or focus on their problems. He had problems of his own. He could have had enough to whinge about himself. God, I'm stuck in a cave. God, I'm living, shouldn't be like this. I'm the future king. He had enough problems of his own. God, what about the pain? But he didn't look at their problems either. David saw the potential and he gave the men purpose, and he spoke into their lives and encouraged them. And, you know, if, and if you're dealing with any of these things, God sees your need as well. He sees what maybe you are going through. He understands your distress. He understands that debt. He understands that discontent. He understands all that maybe better than you do. And we can either choose to just look inwardly on ourselves and go, how am I going to get myself out of this? Or we can actually look up to where my help comes from and look up and say, God, I need your help. And God is amazing at putting people around people that need help. And so in this situation, God said to these guys, you know, you go hang out with David. And they, he put these 400 men around someone that could actually change their life, that could change their situation, someone that would speak into their life. And, that's, and the Bible doesn't give us all the details, but what the Bible does, and I'm going to read it in a moment, it tells us who these men became. Down the track, it tells us and shows us who they became. We know what they were like. They were in debt. They were distressed. They were discontented. But then we see how they were changed. They, we see how, what they became. So we read in 2 Samuel 23, 8-23, we read about these men, some of these men, not all of them, but some of these men, and they're called David's mighty warriors. Because David's in a cave surrounded by enemies that many times tried to attack him and tried to overthrow. And so he had, they called it, in a few parts of the Bible, says it's a fortress. So he, he basically turned the cave into a fortress to defend it and to live. And they had to fight off the enemy many, many times. So these men were like, they weren't just like, oh, guys, let's just sort our life out of debt and we'll get some of that distress out of the way and all that kind of stuff. No, it was like, I need to train you to be mighty men. I need to train you as an army or we're all going to get killed. And so that's the situation they found themselves in. And so we read down in 2 Samuel 23, 8 to 23, the story about some of these guys. And it says, these are the names of David's mightiest warriors. First was Jeroboam, the Hakmonite, some of these words are tricky, who was leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used a spear to kill 800 
800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Eleazar, son of Dodai, a descendant of Ahoha. Once Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines, when the entire Israelite army had fled, he killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the Lord gave him a great victory that day. You've got to understand, in these days, they measured victory and valor by battles because they did it all the time, okay? And we don't measure it by those things today, but this is how they measured it. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. Next in rank was Shammah, son of Agis of, from Hayar. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehia and attacked the Israelites in the field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Once during the harvest when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephraim. The three were among the 30 an elite group among David's fighting men went down to meet him there David was staying in the stronghold which is the cave at that time and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem David remarked longingly to his men oh how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem so the three broke through the Philistine lines drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem and brought it back to David but he refused to drink it instead he poured it out as an offering to the Lord the Lord forbid that I should drink this he exclaimed this water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me so David did not drink it and if you look at I looked up how far it was to go and from the cave to Bethlehem was 20 Ks one way. And three men broke through thousands of troops to get a pitcher of water and broke through the lines of troops again just to bring some water to David. These are the same men who were in debt, who were in distress. The same men that were broken weren't the same men anymore. And all they've done is hang out with David, the anointed man of God. They hung out in the presence of God. These are the examples, the exploits of the three. Abashai, son of Zerah, the brother of Joab, was the leader of the 30. He once used his spear to kill 300 enemy warriors in a single battle. It was by such feats that he became as famous as the three. Abashai was the most famous of the 30 and was the commander, though he was not one of the three. There was also uh, Benaiah, son of Jeodiah, a valiant warrior from Kabzeel. He had did many heroic deeds, which included killing two champions of Moab. Another time on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Something to do. Once armed only with a club, he killed the imposing Egyptian warrior who was armed with a spear. Benaiah wrenched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Deeds like these made Benaiah as famous as the three mightiest warriors. He was more honored than other members of the 30, though he was not one of the three, and David made him captain of his bodyguard. Then it says in 1 Chronicles 12, 14, it says this, the weak, this is talking about David's mighty men. The weakest among them could take on a hundred regular troops and the strongest could take on a thousand. The 400 men in the cave who people would have written off, probably did write off, that's why they ended up in the cave, became David's mighty men. And for the next 20, 30, 40 years became his elite troops still with him. And God gave them the victory after victory. That wasn't just their own strength that did that. God actually gave them supernatural ability to fight, to defend, 
to be those men. Today it would be in different circumstances. It wouldn't be in battle, but it would be in business and it would be in leadership, in your family, with your friends, in a workplace, in, in management, in different areas where, hey, this person, you know, this person can lead a couple, but this person can lead a hundred. This person can lead a thousand. And you can't do that in your own strength. You can do it with supernatural ability that God gives you. God always has a plan. He had a plan for David. He had to go through some stuff, but it was part of the plan. Made him the man he needed to be. He had a plan for the 400 men in the cave. He led them there so their lives could be changed, so they become different men. They could become the men that God wanted them to be. And he has a plan for you. And sometimes you end up going through some stuff. Sometimes you end up going through a few hard times where it's difficult, a difficult situation. It doesn't always work out how you think. I thought it would be a bit easier than this or I didn't think that would happen or that would happen. But God, through it all, can work all things to good. And when you come out the other side, you, you might have looked like this, but you come out the other way, a mighty warrior for God. You come out a mighty woman for God, a mighty man for God, filled with His Spirit, full of life, full of His power, and you can do everything God has called you to do. All of God's plans for people are filled with grace. And we sang two songs, I don't know what songs we were singing this morning, but two songs we sang talked about grace. And I'm going to show you a video in a moment about grace. And I want to close with this thought that none of this happened without the grace of God in all these situations. It was the grace of God that allowed David to go to a cave and shelter from a, a king who had thousands of troops, tens of thousands of troops that were pursuing him and wanting to kill him. Enemies all around, but he sheltered in this cave. That's the grace of God on David's life that he allowed him to stay there for a time until he was the right time to be king. It was the grace of God that those 400 men ended up with David, whose lives were a mess, but God put them with David. That's the grace of God, because that grace was the, empowered them to become the men they were meant to be. It's the grace of God that saves you and me. It's the grace of God that takes our lives from a broken place to a place of healing. It's the grace of God only by his grace i want to show you this video it's by the skit guys it's on grace i have a conversation it's about peter and jesus having a conversation about things that peter went through and you'll understand when you watch it we just watch this video before we close today grace is god's unmerited favor for us his crazy love and the truth is many times we struggle understanding it if you find yourself with grace don't beat yourself up even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. <laughs> this is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter. It's yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, and then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you, yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster clucking. I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? 
Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should look. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take, it was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's, that's grace, Peter. Worship team, want to come up? That's grace. And uh, it's all through the Bible. It's grace that you maybe find yourself here today. It's grace that some of you are probably sitting in this place thinking, oh, it's grace that I'm even alive today, that God has actually saved me because I live in the way I was. My life may not be alive anymore. I wouldn't be certainly sitting in church. We see all through those stories about David and those men and everything that went on was God's grace put them in those situations because He wanted to save them and help them. Because God, from the very beginning, when He sent Jesus to die on a cross, sent His only Son, sacrificed His own Son to die for our sin, just like it said then, so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven love that line that says that on the cross it made what was unforgivable forgivable. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're feeling like I've done some stuff that isn't forgivable. Well, the truth is that Jesus has made it forgivable. That He's put you in this place to hear a message this morning that maybe you don't know God, maybe you, it's the first Sunday the first week of 2019, maybe you've never known Jesus, but today I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Him, to surrender your life to Him, to come to Him and say, forgive me, Lord, 
Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for your grace that makes it possible for me to know you. Maybe your life is feeling in distress, debt, whatever it may be, you're feeling a bit like those guys in the cave. But God wants you to know that today is a brand new start for you, that you can come to Him and you can start. This church is kind of maybe like the cave of Adullam for you. There's people all around you and they will support you and help you and encourage you. And, and God doesn't want, you, want us to walk, walk this life alone or by ourselves, He wants to put people around you, whatever you're facing. He said, I'll put the right people in your life that will speak into you, help you, so that you can go from someone that was maybe broken to a mighty man or a mighty woman of God, just like those men in that cave. That's God's grace. Why don't you close your eyes this morning, just as we finish today. Let me ask you this question. If you're here, and you're saying, today, I need to come to Jesus. I need to ask for His forgiveness. I need to come to Him and give my life to Him. And if that's you today saying, I want to do that, I want to ask Him to come into my life to help me. I want to start a relationship with Him. I want to get to know Him. I want Him to live inside of me and lead me and help me. I want to, I want, I want to walk down the path I'm going anymore. I want to change direction. I want to follow Him. I want to go His way. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, why don't you throw your hand up and say, that's me. Just with every eye closed, just to block out distractions for a moment. This could be the most important moment in someone's life right now. If you're here today and you've never done that and you're saying, I want to do that, just throw your hand up. Say, that's me. I need to do that today. Maybe you've done it a long time ago, but you felt like I've walked away and God can't accept me again. Yes, He can. He sure can. He's a God of many second chances. He's a God that doesn't write you off. If anyone you need to do that today, just throw your hand up. Last thing I want to ask is this. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you feel distressed today. Maybe you are struggling with debt or some situation, hardship that you're thinking, this is too big for me and I need God's help. Maybe you're feeling discontented where your life's at and you'd say, I'd just love someone to pray with me today. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.